Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 13, verses, excuse me, chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I will have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I will sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough, have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool who to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. I've never been to visit any of the medieval <laughs> Gothic cathedrals uh, around the world. Some of you may have seen some of these places. Uh, that's one of the things on my bucket list. I'd like to go see some of those buildings that are, you know, only a thousand years old or so uh, and uh, that have some of the architecture and things that we've all heard about. But what I've seen pictures of and read about, one of the features of Gothic cathedrals uh, is that, and, you know, of course, they were built when the average person like you and I uh, couldn't read or write. And so stories and visual art, all these kinds of things were very important to help us learn the story of Christianity. So a church uh, they were employing any artist, anybody they could think of, the storytellers, to try to share the gospel in that way because uh, we, we didn't have some of the mediums that we have today. So uh, one of the features that you'll find in these Gothic cathedrals is some version. It's like a Christian interpretation of the Wheel of Fortune. All right. And the Wheel of Fortune, not I'd only ever heard this in the TV show, uh, but the, the Wheel of Fortune is an ancient thing that shows obviously just kind of the tragedy and the triumph of life. And so what you'll see in some of the churches is you'll see someone, a king, someone who's in a king's chair, and they'll be at the top of the wheel. And you'll see somebody on their way down, somebody on their way up, and then somebody all the way at the bottom. And what we've all learned from the Wheel of Fortune, whether it be the literal game we used to play as kids, King of the Hill, where we could find any vacant lot or any little dirt mound 
and play King of the Hill. Uh, one thing you learn is that you, you don't ever stay king very long, right? There's always somebody bigger than you. There's always someone who's going to outlast you. There's always a group of people that get together and outsmart you. And so the Wheel of Fortune is a great way to remember life, that if you stay on the outer rim of the Wheel of Fortune, you know, sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down, sometimes you're on the way up, sometimes you're on the way down. But one thing's for sure, you're not going to be on the top all the time. And so uh, it's all the great songs are, are lived on the outer rim of the Wheel of Fortune, right? Um, it's, it's all the great songs and stories. And so we, we uh, on, the, on the outer rim of the Wheel of Fortune, we adopt different strategies depending on our personality. Some of us are smoke them if you've got them people, you know, get it while the getting's good people. Other people are hoarding people. Like we may, we may never, you know, it may get worse, guys. It may get worse. So we got to hold on to everything we have over at the top and we got to build bigger barns. You know, we got to do the whole thing. So we all have our different ways that we adapt and that we embrace what's going on in the story. But what the church would do with these windows, these stained glass windows and these frescas is they would, they would then place Christ in the center of this wheel of fortune. And so the idea was, you know, we understand that life is crazy, that life is wild, that if you go to the outer rim, it, it's always going to be turmoil. And really the only way to find kind of that pleasing sense of gravity is to move towards the center of the circle. And in the center of the circle, you have Jesus who is always calling us to the center, calling us to the center. So we're detaching ourselves from the chaos of the outer rim, and we're moving together towards the center where Jesus sits, where Jesus now reigns, where we can find life. And uh, as we learn in the Gospel of John, we can find life to the full. And so this is a, a different way to live than the world tends to offer us. And we all know what this is like. I don't have to remind you when we go to the outer rim of how crazy the, the wheel can get. And so it's, it's nice to move to the center to experience the invitation that Christ offers of peace and happiness. And I think part of what Jesus is doing and what Luke's doing is storytelling in, in Luke chapter 12 is he's showing us a picture of the different ways that we can get sucked into the outer rim of the wheel of fortune. And he's, he's reminding us that there is a way to live in the center, no matter what's going on. And so Jesus doesn't leave anything off the table. All of life is important, right? We don't live in a vacuum. We don't live in a utopia. We live in the real world with dollars and cents and sickness and health and the whole mess. And so that's the world that Jesus speaks to us in. That's the world that Jesus talks to his disciples in. And that's kind of what we get to, we get to peel back uh, the curtain and we get to see this experience happening right now. And so Jesus is teaching his disciples. And then, of course, as he always does, he gets interrupted. And so he takes a chance to tell a story. And it's fascinating when Jesus gets interrupted with a request for a really good thing. I mean, some, we know good attorneys and bankers and people that help with this kind of stuff. So the guy just comes and says, hey, Jesus, I need you to help me with my inheritance. You know, will you tell my brother what's, what's up and what's down? Because we're out here on the Wheel of Fortune together, and we, we're not jihad. Can you help us out? Well, Jesus helps people, right? Are we supposed to help people? So G why does Jesus not say, sure, let's sit down, let's have a cup of coffee, and let's talk about it? Jesus says, who made me judge over you? What makes you think I'm going to spend time talking about that today? And, of course, there's some hyperbole, but he jumps straight to the deal of, I'll tell you what I would recommend is you be real careful to guard against greed because greed will eat your lunch. It will throw you out to that outer rim and you'll wake up one day and wonder what happened and you will not like where you end up. 
And so that's Jesus goes straight to that point. He goes, let me tell you a story about that and how that works. And so he tells a story about this guy uh, who does really well. And again, the story, the guy who's rich, who does well as a farmer is not condemned. There's never a problem with the stuff that he has. It's just that he quickly turns and begins to take the stuff and kind of put his own self at the center of the wheel. And this is what happens. And we see the pain and the fallout from there. So this Luke chapter 12 text, which I'm just sort of looking at as a general survey today from pretty much verse four all the way down to verse 34. If you're a person that likes to follow along in your Bible, we're kind of moving through. There's some recurring themes. And every time I tried to focus on a certain paragraph, I would notice that it was connected by two other paragraphs and three other words. And it was it was confusing me and making me hold it all together. So I had to keep the whole text here. Um, but what I think is happening in, in Luke chapter 12 is uh, Jesus is reminding the disciples that if we can give attention to what's ultimately important, it will help us not be so distracted, not be so anxious about all the little things which are important, but they don't have ultimate importance. So Jesus doesn't just tell us, hey, don't be anxious. You know, get over yourselves. Don't be afraid. But instead, he says, don't be anxious. And here's why, you know, and he's telling the disciples who are being persecuted and it's about to get worse. And he's like, look, I know it's scary. I know it's scary to go out and serve and to do things. I know it's scary to put yourself out there and serve in the world that's going to persecute you. But just trust me on this one. If you can direct your fear, like the thing that you're preoccupied with, if you can move that towards the center of the circle, if you can look at God, if you can look at Jesus, the one who has authority, he says, to cast us into Gehenna, or we translate sometimes hell, but a dark place. Jesus holds the keys and he's saying, look, if we can look to that place and give our ultimate respect and fear, it's like the writer of Proverbs, uh, you know, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we can, if we can see the ultimate reality and put that in proper place on the dashboard, then everything else, you know, works from there, uh, the trickles out. So Give our attention to what is truly ultimate in verses four through seven. And it really does lower our anxiety. It lowers our preoccupation with the things that sometimes we can't control or the things that we you know, can control, but we just spend a little too much time worrying about. So um, as I want to move to a section of this chapter that I'm, I'm I think in economic terms, it makes sense. But we look at we see the word fear a lot and we see this reference to value. And one of the things I noticed was that when every time Jesus talks about fear and he says, do not be afraid, little flock, right? He's telling my beloved people, brothers and sisters, don't be afraid. But every time he says, don't be afraid, he makes a reference to value. And again, a good teacher, someone like Jesus, a good God, always he's not going to tell us just, hey, you guys quit being afraid down there. You guys quit being afraid over there. It's not scolding us. He's just saying, this is no way to live. I don't want you to be afraid all the time. And let me remind you of something. And what Jesus reminds us of is that we have infinite value. That as human beings who are created in the image of God, we can't even put a price tag on it. We can't even begin to talk about how valuable you are and how valuable I am and how valuable we are as God's people in the world. And then we can take it a step further and say we come through the waters of baptism and God has marked us with his name and said, you are of more value than anything else. You are my beloved son, my beloved daughter. And with you, I am well pleased. So every time it's don't be afraid, it's let me remind you of how valuable you are. 
And it's encouraging and it keeps us out of as much dark fear because it reminds us that there's nothing ultimately that you or I can do to diminish our value in the eyes of God. I can live a wonderful life or a horrible life and my value as a human being will not change in the eyes of God. Obviously, that's a whole nother conversation, uh, but we can't change that. You and I can't, the number of possessions that we acquire, the number of things that we do does not change our value in the eyes of God. And so that's very liberating in one sense to realize like you and I, we, we get to know each other uh, as, as people, as human beings, as people who are created in the image of God. So I want to read verse uh, chapter, chapter 12, verse 7, chapter 12, verse 24, and then chapter 12, verse 32. Just kind of, they go through and you, you'll be able to hear the language of fear and value. Um, fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows, right? You pay attention to the sparrows. You see that as tiny as they are, uh, they're hardly worth anything in the economy, but God cares for them. God takes care of them. Not one of them is forgotten before God. How much more does God value and take care of you? Uh, Later on, consider the ravens. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't have a storehouse or a barn, and yet God takes care of them. God feeds them of how much more value are you than the birds? And this is right after he said, don't be anxious, don't be afraid. And then later, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Right? God is delighted to give you the kingdom, uh, not because of what you've done, but because of who you are, because you're his children. And what father doesn't love to give, give good gifts to his children? So fear not, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You're free, go and enjoy life. Once we kind of understand that, once we understand the, the value that we possess as human beings and then as baptized believers in the family of God, we have this great value that comes from nothing that we have done, but just from our location, being who we are, then, then we can kind of move in and talk about what we do with the things that God has given us. So our faith and our appreciation, understanding of the value that you and I share Uh, And then we begin to move through and go, okay, now we don't have to be so afraid. We can look at life and kind of look at the things that we have, not as a burden, but as something that we've been given in order to share, in order to do something with. And so the text turns and begins to have this conversation about what we do with the things that we hold in our hands. One way to think about this is the human body. We all have a body. We've all been given a body and all of our bodies are different and they all work differently. And we all have our limitations of our body, but our body is a gift and we've been given this gift. And then we also have possessions. We have things that we hold in our hands from the time that we're little. You know, I remember when I was a little kid, and I had a little safe, a little tiny safe on my desk, and I, and I hid the key, and you could have broken into it with like a business card. But I was, I was very, I wanted those little things that were mine, just little ridiculous things. Um, I had a bumper sticker from the George Strait fan club. It was very important to me um, as a kid. You know, just a big thing. It doesn't matter. You can't tell me what's valuable. I can't tell you what's valuable to you. Like, that's just how it works. But I held that in this treasured place. And Jesus is reminding us, like, everything that you've been given, it's a treasure. It's a good thing. Your body's a good thing. The things that you hold are good things. The wealth that God gives you is a good thing. These are good things. The children, the family, all the stuff, these are gifts. These are wonderful gifts. But be on guard against greed, right? Be on guard against the outer rim of the circle that just pulls you out there, the centripetal force of just 
chaos. Beware of that. It will take you places you don't want to go. And notice the guy in the story, in the parable, he says to himself, that's always a good sign when we start talking to ourselves and go, you know, I've kind of made it. I've arrived. Self, you've done a nice job. You've got everything together. You've got bigger barns now. You can relax. You can prop your feet up and you can watch football for the rest of your life with nothing else to do. You can eat, drink, and be merry, and everything's kosher. Now, whatever your vision for the good life is, where you can just sit and do or, or be active and do, that's, that's this guy has arrived. And in the story, God says, you fool. At this very moment, your life will be demanded of you. right? There's, and then, then what's going to happen to your possessions? Then what happens to the good gifts that you held in your hands? Uh, because you don't control those anymore. So while you still have time, you should take those things and you should share those things, right? You should not hoard those things. You should give those things. So the story of Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. It reminds us that there's so much trepidation in talking about faith and wealth and possessions in the New Testament or preaching through the Gospel of Luke. One of the reasons we preach through texts as churches is so that the preachers don't get to just pick their favorite passages all the time. You know, amen, are you glad we don't just get to pick our favorite stuff, but we try to be governed by the story and try to preach the whole story, the whole text. And so you get to this one, and I get to this, I'm looking at it on Tuesday, and I go, oh boy, this is going to be fun. I get to talk to a group of very successful bankers and teachers and attorneys and businessmen and mothers and fathers and teenagers about the economy, about economics of the kingdom of God, about money, right, about our bodies, our possessions, and it's very intimidating, but, and so the, the temptations for me come this way. It's like, okay, maybe you can just skip that and preach the next chapter. Cool. Let's try that. Or you can preach this chapter, but just like take the kind of just take the power out of it. Maybe just tell a nice story about something on the periphery and not really get to the heart. Uh, and then of course you sit with it a while and you go, okay, Lord, I gotta, I know I gotta do this. I gotta preach this. But uh, one of the things I've learned over the years and in, in hearing stories about possessions and money is that, um, Obviously, this matters very much to God, and I, I would encourage you to resist any any teachings, any understandings of faith and wealth in the New Testament that are very technical and very matter of fact, and just tell you absolutely what you should do. I've heard hundreds of sermons where people go, you know, Jesus says more about money than about anything else. He talks more about money than the kingdom of God. And it's like, yeah, usually when he's talking about money, he's talking about the kingdom of God. He's just using money as an illustration because we all understand money. Like everybody has to deal with money. So anyways, resist those technical interpretations of what's going on here. We live in a very complex world of finance and economics, not to mention other countries of the world. I mean, what is it like to be a Christian in Estonia or in Brazil? I have no idea. I don't know what that economy is like. I definitely don't understand our economy and the way everything works here. I most certainly don't understand what it's like for someone in Zimbabwe to understand faith and wealth in the context of the church and the world that they live in. So a lot of humility is, is required and it's good. This is something we should wrestle with. We work this out in our Bible studies and our prayer groups and our conversations with our children. We don't get this all figured out this morning. So that's the good news. Fear not, little flock. I'm hearing Jesus talk to me. Fear not, little flock. Uh, you'll be okay, right? It's going to be all right. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We're not going to miss it. He's going to lead us in the way that we should go. So our body, our possessions are good things. They're legitimate needs. They are, they are not only legitimate, they're not just functional, but our bodies and our possessions are beautiful. They're filled with beauty and goodness and truth. And so we hold those things in our hands and we just celebrate and we give thanks to God from whom all blessings flow. And we deeply appreciate what we see and what we hold. 
And then, but then Jesus begins to make reference to the treasures that we hold in our hands and the possessions that we have. And a couple of things he reminds us is that these treasures will grow old. Isn't that interesting to think about the, the money bags is the, the phrase, right? The purses, the checkbooks, the whatever, the bank accounts, the, the computer uh, spreadsheets, they will grow old. This will all grow old. Uh, even our, our possessions, the, our bodies will fail, right? Things will shut down and we will, we will not always hold these gifts in our hands. They will fail. They will grow old. And so the encouragement Jesus gives is to uh, sort of detach ourselves from an unhealthy you know, attachment to these things. It's almost like a, uh, what the spiritual masters called uh, spiritual indifference. We develop kind of the spiritual indifference towards our possessions are really good things, but we, we kind of detach ourselves in a healthy way. And we do this by, Jesus lays out for us, by giving to the poor, by giving alms, by uh, we get money bags that don't grow old. It's fascinating language, right? Treasure is good, but let, let your heart lay up treasures in heaven, right? Be interested in the eternal treasures. Store up treasures in heaven. Serve with your body. Think about the people that need what God has given me and you and the treasures that we hold in our hands. Who, who else can benefit from those? Who can grow? What things can we share that we have? And as we answer those questions, our heart begins to change. And where our treasure is, Jesus says, there our heart will be also. So that place where we deeply feel and deeply love and deeply live from, we will find treasure there by living in this way. I love the references and the language of reward in the Gospels. It's really throughout the, the Bible. If you look at possessions and, and the body throughout the Old Testament, there's constant, there's just a staggering number of references to reward. And we don't talk about this a lot, but it's a good thing to remember that Jesus does not mind telling us that there are rewards that are stored up for us. That when we, when we give... To, when we give to the poor, we give alms to the poor, we are, we are investing in something that lasts forever. Uh, Proverbs 19 says that, uh, that someone who is kind, who shows kindness to the poor, is actually lending to God, and the Lord will repay them. Isn't that crazy? Uh, think that we are lending something to God, just that metaphor that when, we, when we're a friend of the poor, we're kind to someone who's down on their luck, that the Lord takes that as a... As a uh, uh, alone. And he's, he's going to repay us in some way uh, in the world that is to come. So it's, it's, it's staggering. It's beautiful that there's reward that comes. And it's not just about self-interest, which is fine because we're motivated by self-interest. That's a good thing. God understands that. He's like, hey, if you want to get in on the rewards of life, then you should invest in uh, those who are down. And there, there's a reward that comes with that, right? By sharing your body, by serving, by sharing possessions, that it actually, uh, we detach ourselves from inordinately loving them. And then the world is, that's this part of the way that God loves the world is by inviting the church to share who we are and what we have as individuals and as a group. And so, um, but it's not just about self-interest. It's also about signing to the world that God's economy is different than the world's economy. Because it doesn't matter what economy you actually live in, what monetary system that we live in in the world, and it changes all the time. But we're always signaling to the world that God does not do business like the world does business. That God, it is God's pleasure to give us the kingdom. And in God's economy, there's no shortage of mercy. 
The only shortage of mercy is when we hoard mercy and we don't give it away. The only shortage of resources is when we hold on to those resources and we don't share those things. And these are things that hit me really hard as I look around and I realize that it's important for the world to know that the church sees economy different. The economy of God is different. Now we still live in the same economy. Again, we're not going to build a commune and go do whatever and live in our own little world. We live in the real world and we learn and we struggle to share and appreciate the gifts that God has given us. This week, um, early in the week, we got a message through, somebody found our church through the website and uh, they live close by and they were, they were struggling with food. And they realized on our website that we had a food pantry. And so they just sent a generic email saying, here's our situation. Is there anything that you might be able to do for us? And so we contacted them and let them know the best way to come to our food pantry and how that works and what would be needed. And so um, later in the week, I just had kind of moved on and, and, you know, things went along and our food pantry was open two days like we always are. We serve uh, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of food like we always do. And uh, so I just thought at the end of the week, I picked up the phone and I called this person and I said, uh, hey, I just wanted to check on you. I'm here at the church and, and you reached out last week and I just want to make sure everything's okay, if there's anything we can do for you. And she just said, you'll, you'll never understand how appreciative we are. My, my husband gets paid tomorrow and that helped us get through this week and yada, yada, yada. And then she said something that made it really hard for me to respond to her. She said, um, I'll be, I'll be in next week to repay what you guys gave me. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I just, I, I paused before I responded and I don't remember exactly what I said, but I, I, I hope that I said something that would remind her that she didn't owe us anything because it was a free gift because of your generosity, the congregation, and because the people who are serving and she had a chance just to receive a gift. I was like, there's nothing that you owe us or anybody else. And I hope I conveyed that with my words, but I hope more than that, she understands that in, in the physical resources and, uh, that's the economy that, that God is interested in us living in is that economy where there's, there's, there are those times where you just need the gift and you just got to receive the gift and we ask for it. And then there's somebody there to, to give. And so we celebrate that and God's generosity. So I invite you this morning to, uh, to wrestle, uh, to pray that as you have your Bible open, as you're praying, as you're driving down the road, you know, keep, keep the body, keep possessions in, on the table. Let's, let's pray through this together. Let's struggle through this together. Let's figure out together what we actually hold in our hands. We do this by sharing our lives with each other, by the way, by reminding each other what gifts we actually have, because we all tend to undervalue ourselves and the gifts that we have. So it's good to be reminded by one another. Hey, that's an amazing gift that you have. Have you ever thought about doing this with it? And you're going, what, me? Who? What? I don't have that gift. I'm not Aaron Judge. I didn't just hit my 42nd home run of the year, you know, for in a crazy form. I'm just, I'm just a guy. But no, there's, there are gifts out there. So as we come to Holy Communion this morning, I invite you to receive the gift of God, that is the gift of himself, uh, to be reminded that uh, God is interested in feeding us. We are of infinite value, of more value uh, than we can imagine. We open our hands to receive the bread and the wine this morning. May we let go of our our, our clasping to the things that we really hold on to, that we would open our hands and loosen our grip on our possessions and freely offer them, remembering all the while that it is the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom.
It is the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.